0: you. It's encouraging. It's inspiring. And you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. You guys doing okay? Hey, I am so glad that you're here. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here at City Church, and it's an honor to be gathering with you guys today. You guys pumped to be here? I am, I am just so excited. First of all, because it's week eight of our eight-week series called Starting Point. Some of you are like, finally. It's the ending point of Starting Point, man. I am so pumped. Now, it has been such an encouraging series. If, if you haven't had the chance to tune in, you can go back, catch a lot of what, what we've been doing on our podcast, our YouTube channel, our website. All of that's available for you. But the premise of this series has been everything has a starting point, right? Everything in your life has a starting point. You had a starting point. Some of you were started on purpose. Some of you were accidents. but That's okay. We're glad you made it. That's funny. Okay, all right, cool. We'll get there. We'll get there. I have, I have bad jokes sometimes, but we'll get there. Hey, so, so the idea is that everything has a starting point. Even faith has a starting point. Um, and for some of you, faith was a paradigm that was handed to you as a child. Maybe you, you, know, you received it. It was super helpful, and, and you kind of took that paradigm, and, it, and it's been carried throughout your whole life, and it's been awesome. Some of you, you were heri- handed a, a faith paradigm as, as a kid, and then as you started to grow up, it started to get disconnected you know, some of your life experiences and your faith paradigm that you were handed as a kid, like, like it's like your faith wasn't growing up with you, and so you, all, you have all these what ifs and what abouts and these hard questions, and you go to college, and you're like, okay, well, maybe, maybe some of the things that I, like, are they, are they actually true, and can I embrace that, or what about this, or that's a really good point, and so all of a sudden, because of the rigors of life, because of adulthood, because of the world we live in, you know, maybe depending on the paradigm you're handed of faith, it's like, okay, I'm not sure that, that my childhood faith holds up and holds up underneath the weight of some of the struggles of adult life or maybe even there's just a disconnect in your experiences maybe it's not a theological thing for you maybe there's not a a disconnect up here but it's what you've experienced it's what you've seen it's what you've seen in the church it's what you've seen from leaders it's what you've seen around the world and you're like i'm not seeing how this faith thing and then all of this is is reconcilable and some of you 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 didn't grow up around the church you didn't grow up around faith in fact you you've maybe even once you were exposed to faith for in whatever way that was you kind of like saw it and then stayed away from it you're like whatever that is i don't want it and so you've intentionally just kind of of you know stayed on the outside looking in and some of us we just get busy life gets busy and so like faith might be floating around in there somewhere but it's you know not priority number one you got you know life to do and and you got you know uh, classes to take and you got a job to do and you got you know kids to raise and things just kind of pick up quickly and move on and you're like cool you know I'll get around to that faith thing when it becomes important if it ever does and so I don't know where you're walking in on your faith journey but as we wrap up this series first of all I can just tell you listen no matter where you are on your faith journey you are loved safe and welcome here. And our desire is to help you take a next step, no matter what that might look like for you today. Now, in our conversation, as we wrap up this series, today's conversation is going to be super, super helpful. But what I want to do is kind of do a recap over the last seven weeks. Very briefly, this is your commercial. So last time on Starting Point. Okay, (laughs) let's go. Let's go. First, First and most important question. First and most important question that we've been The whole point of this series, guys, is wrestling to the ground this singular question. Who is Jesus you and I like I know there's a lot of really good things to talk about There's a lot of important things like you know Why didn't the dinosaurs make it onto the ark? You know like did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? You know what I mean like were they naked were they really naked or was that just to keep our interest in the story? You know what I mean like we have all these important questions that you got to wrestle with those are great Those are great you can talk about those on your own time But the question that we've wrestled with over and over again that you and I have to genuinely put in front of us Is, who is Jesus. Now, we, we've been walking through this series, and then the next thing we talked about in light of that conversation is, is there, is there a difference between, like, you know, being mistakers and being sinners? You know, we don't like that word. We don't like to talk about sin. It kind of makes you feel bad, feel guilty. So we're like, oh you know, we make some mistakes. And all of us have some mistakes. In fact, we took a census, and everybody in the room was like, yep, I'm a mistaker. But the problem is, some, there's some things in our lives that we do, or we have done, or we watch other people do, and we're like, okay, like, at what point is it no longer a mistake, Right? We're like, okay, there's some things that I'm not sure we can keep calling mistakes when they keep happening again. Or like, you know, there's some politicians that would like to call it mistakes. And you're like, mm, I'm not sure it makes it into that category anymore, buddy. Right? So, so you have that challenge. And then, and then, you know, going on, we talked about gaining God's approval. You know, like, what, like if there is a God, like, like what does it take to get him to like you? Does he even like you? And, 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 you know, is there, is there something there? We talked about that a little bit. We talked about the role of rules. This one was fun. For me, the role of rules, like, okay, if there is a God, like, where, where's the role of rules fall into this whole thing? Like, you know, other expectations and how do you meet them? We talked about, like, you know, maybe it's the family model of faith. Like, okay, like, like you know, you're, you're in the family and then there's some some rules, if you will, some expectations that follow. Or is, like, faith like the club model? You know, you, like, got to do X, Y, and Z in order to get in. Or is it like the HOA model where no one really likes you and you don't really know the rules but you're in it anyway? You know, we talked about the role of rules, and then we also talked about this big question, what can wash away my sin, and and again, we talked about, we don't like that word, so, you know, what can wash away my stuff, what can wash away some? you know, because it's it's interesting, you and I have some things that happened in our past, and we kind of like laugh about it later, we're like, oh, you know, you think that was stupid, listen to what I did, right, we have some of those stories, and then we have other things that we're like, you know, we hope no one ever, ever, ever finds out about, we hope that no one ever asks about those things, and it's like, okay, how do we how do we get rid of some of that stuff that seems to follow us no matter how hard we work at not thinking about it or, or moving forward and moving past it? We also talked about this really, really big idea uh, about grace and, and the role of grace in faith and this amazing mega theme when it comes to the invitation uh, around faith in Jesus specifically. And then last week, we had the most disturbing message of all. It was slightly disturbing. Um, and, and we talked about this big disconnect of, you know, if, is there really a difference between Christianity and every other world religion? where we talked about it, like, hey, is this just one big group thing, and everybody just kind of have a little bit more faith, and right, we talked about, you know, the Journey song, Don't Stop Believing," and maybe that's all you got to do. Da. All right, no, all right, it's okay. Yeah, they don't pay me to sing. Um, they don't pay me much of anything anyway. All right, we won't go there. All right, all right, so, 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 this is where we've been. This is where we've been, and now we're wrapping it up, and, and there's one more thing I want to talk about, and, and again, if you haven't, if you've been, missed the series, I'd encourage you to go back. And check those things out. Again, if you have friends that are struggling with faith, wrestling with faith you know, then I highly recommend using these resources. Let them be a, a, like a paradigm or a platform to start having dialogue. And again, we've talked about it, man. If you're a follower of Jesus, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, this is an equipping series to help you understand, like, hey, why do you believe what you believe? And how are you going to point other people in that direction, you know, if you've got your own questions? And questions are welcome, by the way. You know, some of our struggle in this faith journey is, you know, when you start to have the hard questions, some of you are around faith leaders or faith circles or in homes that said, don't ask hard questions, just believe a little harder. And, and that kind of starts to dissolve our ability to sit in this. And so, one more thing I want to, I want to talk about today. Is, is that there's one more thing that, that happened. And we've talked about this over and over again, that, that this whole faith journey and wrestling with who is, who is Jesus, it's not like a truth c- claim. It's not, you know, have faith in faith or believe a little harder. It's not stuff like that. All of this is around something that actually happened. And so if you're considering faith or if you have already embraced faith, then this thing what we're about to talk about is super, super important because something actually happened and what's amazing is still happening and this something that we're going to talk about today, it really has no explanation explanation. It's kind of confusing. It's kind of mind-boggling when you think about it, outside of the possibility that maybe Jesus is actually who he said he was. Maybe he's actually doing what he said he would do, and this, you know, makes skeptics a little uncomfortable. It makes us a little comfortable when we're trying to wrestle with it, but again, this is something that happened, and is still happening, that you and I need to know and wrestle with. So I'm going to kind of fast forward. There's this guy named Matthew, uh, one, of, one of Jesus' followers, and he documents for us this, this story where Jesus and his crew, he's got 12 other guys with him, Jesus and his crew, they roll to this town called Caesarea Philippi, okay? So just kind of fast forward with me, we're gonna kind of go on a journey together. They're they're 150 miles outside of Jerusalem, okay, where they were hanging out. Now, 150 miles is a long, long way on any day. It's extra long on feet, so they got a long journey ahead of them. They're headed to Caesarea Philippi, and as they're going, there's this really famous passage and this really famous statement we're gonna look at from Jesus today, but as they're heading to this, this area, what you need to know, and you might know this if you're a history buff, I'm not, so I had to go look this up, but Caesarea Philippi was named after Caesar Augustus. Okay, so you can go back, kind of look at, you know, Rome and all the history there. And this town is renamed, Caesarea Philippi, after Caesar. the the caesar caesar augustus and and he's the first roman emperor by the way i don't know if you you know you knew that but caesar augustus is the first roman emperor and what's amazing about this what we're about to dig into is as they're heading to this town an amazing question comes up but i think it's in light of this context so it's just been been renamed after this emperor and what's really unique is he's the adopted son of julius caesar okay and so you might not know this but from from history we can look at in the roman empire they kind of deified julius caesar right he's a god Now, he's a god that died, but, you know, you can do whatever you want with that. And so he's a god, and then we have the adopted son of of Julius Caesar, who who this town is named after. So literally, when they talk about, you know, they rename this, this town, and it's, you know, Caesar Augustus. Literally, when they refer to him, they would refer to him as the son of a god. Not the son of a gun, but the son of a God, right? And, and again, because Caesar prior, you know, his, his adopted father was deified, then the same thing. This is the son of a God. That's the name of this town, okay? So they're rolling up and they're probably talking about that. Like, hey, you know, there's Caesar and what do you think about him? And, you know, the son of the God and whatever, and you, know, you got that whole conversation. And so then Jesus stops them as they're in that town and he, and he pauses and says, okay, like, I, I know who you think Caesar is and he asks this really important question in Matthew 16. He says, but who do you say that I am. Like, okay, we, we know that, you know, this town is la- named after the son of a God, but, but what do you think, like, who do you think I am? And this is a really, really famous moment that we can look back on. And, and Peter, one of the guys is kind of like the, 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 the loud mouth of the group. He just kind of, you know, has that word vomit problem like many of us have, or at least me. And, uh, and so he, he, in this moment, he hears Jesus ask his question. And here's what he says. He says, uh, um, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God, right? Not the dead God, like C- Caesar, right? I mean, that guy died, so, I mean, this is the son of a dead God, but you're the son of a living God, right? And in this moment, Peter just kind of blurts it out. Right? There's this promise, they had this idea that God was going to send the Messiah, this chosen one to save people and, you know, make the world right and bring us back into relationship with God. There's that whole thing in, in, the, in Judaism that they've been looking forward to. And then, and then Peter, in this moment, is like, You're that guy. And, and then, you know, Jesus is like, you right? Like, you know, like, okay, you got it. Now, you know, and, and he gives Peter a little bit of credit, but also he's like, hey, God God revealed this to you. And then Jesus makes a statement right after this moment that, that started something that has been going since this moment. And it's an amazing, amazing moment. Verse 18, check this out. Jesus says, and, and, and I tell you that you are Peter, he's talking to Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, the gates of death, will not overcome it. And in this moment, this is a big deal, by the way, like churches kind of debate around this. This might be familiar to you or not. Like, okay, the point is not who is the rock or where is the rock. That's not what we're talking about. And we're not talking about Dwayne Johnson, by the way, in case you're wondering. Um... But, but, you know, it's, it's, it's in there. Um, but, right, we're not talking about that, but it's not who is the rock, but the point of Jesus' statement here is he says something emphatic. And I, I need you to get this, right? They're in the middle of Caesarea Philippi. There's 13 of them, including Jesus, and then Judas is in there. He's the guy that's the betrayer, right? And so they got 11 of them. And Jesus looks at them, and he uses this word, I will build my church. I need you to pause for a second. When you hear that word, what comes to mind? Think about it, like, like just, just based on your experiences and everything you know up to this point, what comes to mind? This is really, really important. Because what what Jesus intended here might not be what you hear. Because there's this word that Jesus uses when he says, I will build my church. And it's this word, ekklesia. And here's the the Greek version. Here's the the Greek language here. Check that out. How fancy is that, huh? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, just so you know. Ekklesia. Jesus uses this very common term, by the way, to describe what he's going to build. And this word literally means gathering or it means like, you know, assembly or a congregation. It's about people, okay? So Jesus makes this massive statement in front of 12 dudes. He's like, you know, you're Peter and on this truth, on this rock, on, on this statement that I'm the son of God, I will build my gathering. And there's like, you know, 12 of them and we're like, woo <laughs> It's going great so far, Jesus, right? And, and, and it's, it's kind of funny in this moment because it, it's like, okay, cool, Jesus. Let's see what, where this is going to go. And clearly, you know, we, we, we can see the church kind of globally today, so I think you know where this is going. But I need to back up because there's something that happened. From this moment, as you move forward, when we, we began to take the Greek text and translate it into different languages, there is a tragedy of translation that happened from Greek to English and other languages, and this is where you and I, there's this German word, it's, well, I don't know how to say it, but we're going to say kirch, Um, um, I heard that that's wrong, but apparently no one can agree on it anyway, so we're going to go with that, and so this is actually where we get, this is a superimposed word on the word that Jesus used, this is the German word kirch, where we get our word, does it sound familiar? Church? Okay, you guys see it, right? Okay, so here's why this is a tragedy in translation. This is just a massive, massive mistake that has affected the church in a massive way. It has affected faith in a massive way. It's a really, really big problem that we're constantly having to address, and it's because this word literally means in German, the house of the Lord. Now, why is that a problem? Because most people, when they talk about church, when they think about church, they're referring to a place. They're referring to a location. They're referring to a building. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. It's not a place that Jesus was promising. Jesus is calling out. He didn't predict a place. Jesus predicted a people. You guys with me on this? His whole statement, his whole point, I will build my church, my gathering, my people. And it has very little to do with a location and more about the people. Jesus did not predict a place. This is so important. Why? Because we live in a culture that talks about going to church. But that's not how Jesus presented it. There is no church to go to. You're invited into the church. You are the church. Jesus didn't just predict a place. He predicted you. That as we gather, it's a people and it's a movement. And here's something unique that happens. In history, you can look this up. In the 16th century, William Tyndale is translating from Greek to English. Our first English translation of, of, of the New Testament. And as he gets to this passage, he gets to Matthew 16, and he is stunned because up to this point, the translations have all been using that word church, this, this idea of like the house of the Lord, again, connotating a place, and as he's translating from, from, from Greek to English, he gets to this word, and his mind is blown because he realizes it's been translated wrong over and over again, that it doesn't mean what, they've thought it, what they thought it meant this whole time. And so in the first English translation, William Tyndale, he translates it congregation. And the church leaders of that day get all kinds of sideways. They call him a heretic, they drag him out, they strangle him, and they burn him at the stake. Because of this massive, massive transition away from power and back to Jesus' original intention. Some of you are like, I know some church leaders like that, right? <laughs> right? That's the problem, right? Some of us carry some serious baggage that's been done in the name of Jesus and in the name of the church. But again, when he translates it the proper way, it causes a massive, massive uproar. Now, kind of going back to our story, okay? Jesus, they're in Caesarea Philippi, hanging out doing that thing, and then from there, Jesus is going to go back to Jerusalem. Now, there's a reason they weren't in Jerusalem. They already kind of, you know, were in danger of their life and all that, and so all of his you know, disciples, his followers, were like, Jesus, don't go back. Like, it's not a good, you don't want to do that. It's a really bad idea. We're trying to get something moving here. And then he goes back, and guess what happens? He gets crucified, right? He goes back to Jerusalem. They, they capture him in the middle of the night, they wrongfully accuse him. They crucify him on a cross, and Jesus is dead. And you need to understand, right? We talked about this last week. In this moment, all of Jesus' followers, there is no faith. There are no Jesus' followers. There are no Christians. Everything that they've been believing in and following Jesus for up to this point is gone. He's dead. There's no way that he is or that he was who he said he was. Everything that Jesus said is now over. There is no, you know, let's, let's get this thing going, right? They're like, Holy cow. We did not see that coming. He clearly is not who we thought he was. And then I think, you know, if you, if you came to some of his followers, hey, Peter, hey, 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 James, like, what do you guys think? You know, is he still gonna build his gathering? How's that going? How's that promise going? You know, he's gonna build his church? Oh, it looks like it's going really well right now, huh? Like, yeah, no, I don't think that's happening anymore. He's, he's dead. I mean, I mean it, everything he taught, it's, it's impossible. And then three days later, we talked about this last week. Three three days later, they saw something. Three days later, something happened. And three days later, when they saw Jesus risen from the dead, everything changed. And in this moment, they take this amazing, like, kind of reset. And and, and then we fast forward to these famous words that, that I'm about to share with you. These are the words of Jesus after his resurrection, They've seen a risen savior, they're going around Jerusalem telling everyone about it, you're not gonna believe this. We thought he was dead, now he's alive. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses all making the claim, not about what he taught, but about, what, but about something that happened. And then Matthew 28, check this out, Jesus is standing before about a crowd of 120 people at this point. So, you know, he's kind of building his gathering, right? Like, okay, 120 people, not too shabby for, you know, but I mean, I wouldn't say it's this massive movement yet, but I mean, you know, better than 12, right? So so he, he goes on, and again, um, the, the movement starts moving as a result of what's about to happen, and, and, and the gathering starts growing as a, as a result of what's going to happen. And in Matthew 28, Jesus shows up and he says these words to his followers. He says, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me." Now I just want you to pause for a second. Can you think of like a more arrogant statement? I'm the boss. <laughs> Right, and I, and I imagine, right, I mean, I mean granted, he, just, he did just rise from the dead, so maybe that's a little, you know, maybe they're, not, like, totally offended. They're, like, okay, you know, if you can predict your own death and resurrection, you know, we might roll with what you say. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? But, I mean, I mean all authority, and they're looking around, like, in light of the Roman Empire. Like, you, you see the authority around, I mean, seriously, all authority in heaven and on earth? But, okay, I mean, you did just rise from the dead. So, maybe, you know, they're rolling with it for a second, right? And here's what he says. He goes on and he says, Therefore, in light of all the authority that I have, I'm gonna leverage and push all of my authority into this one singular focus, okay? So, Jesus raised from the dead, looking at his followers, this is what he deposits into them. Therefore, go and make disciples. This is other followers of Jesus of all nations. And I think someone raised their hand. Yeah, 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 you you in the back, the handsome one. Uh, Jesus, what's a nation? Hold on. Don't interrupt. We'll get there. We'll get there. I want you to go into all nations, and I want you to baptize them in my name and to teach them how to follow me, right? And in this moment, they're like, well, um, how are we going to get there? There's 120 of them. There's this moment. You're looking at a crowd of people. They have no influence. They have no money. They're fugitives of the law. I mean, there is not a lot going for the crowd that is standing in front of Jesus in this moment, And so Jesus is saying, hey, in light of of everything that I've said and done, in light of the reality that I carry all authority, I'm leveraging that reality now, that authority now, and I'm sending you into the world. Again, he made a promise. I'm going to build my church, so go. You guys got it? And then he says this at the end, in verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end. End of the age. And then he left. <laughs> he totally dipped. I'm with you to the very end. Bam, he's gone. And all of a sudden, the church is born. The movement starts moving. The, the gathering starts Growing and, and this is amazing thing that hundreds and thousands of people are becoming followers of Jesus because all these guys are running around and they're saying we've seen him Jesus raised from the dead he was who he said he was he can do what he said he would do and it, this church is exploding for about two years guys this is amazing you can read it on your own go to the book of Acts and, and and for two years I mean the church is just I mean grinding on all cylinders it's amazing massive growth thousands of people becoming followers of Jesus not around truth claims but an event that happened. And then about two years in, things start to get shaky. All of a sudden, the movement isn't moving as much anymore. And all of a sudden, the gathering isn't growing like like it was. And all of a sudden, persecution really starts to heavily set in from from, uh, the Roman Empire. And all of a sudden, the church starts to scatter, and it's not safe to even be gathered, and not safe to be together. And the church is scattered. And in this moment, it's kind of interesting, right? Um, Because I think, if if you kind of fast forward, I don't know, this is not in in the scriptures, by the way, but if you, like, imagine for me for a second, like, imagine Jesus is in heaven hanging out with God the Father, and they're watching everything, and for two years, like, amazing things are happening, and all of a sudden, things kind of start to slow down, and I imagine maybe, like, Jesus leans over to God the Father, and he's like, hey, uh, you know, I told them to go into all nations, but maybe, maybe they misunderstood me, maybe, like, because... Maybe they just heard neighborhood, because <laughs> they're not really moving, like they're kind of staying right there, and now that it's getting hard and heavy, they're just kind of sitting low, and so then I think Jesus and, and God, they, they look at the situation, and they find this, uh, this guy, this guy we talked about over and over again, this guy named Saul. Eventually, he's going to be renamed Paul, and he's like the, the number one opponent of the church. He's the number one opponent of the Christian faith. I mean, he's shutting it down. He's killing Christians. He's throwing them in prison. I mean, he is doing everything he can to stop the movement from moving. He is part of the crew shutting things down, and God says, let's use that guy, and then Boom. Saul becomes a Christian, Saul becomes a Jesus follower, and he gives his life to Jesus, and he becomes this amazing influencer in the early church, and it's amazing in this moment that all of a sudden, in the middle of everything going on, God chooses one guy that's just different from every other person. You're like, what's the most unlikely dude? How about the guy killing everybody? That guy, let's use him right? The most unlikely guy, they they step in, they use him, and they're like, hey, let's use him as an influencer, and he shows up, and this is amazing, guys. You can go to Acts 9, I don't have time to give it to you today, but you can go to Acts 9 and read the story for yourself, how he becomes Paul, and this guy becomes one of the most influential leaders in the early church. He writes over a third of the New Testament that we have today. Paul here is a really, really big challenge for the skeptic because of all the historical narrative that we have to reference, because of how how he identifies as someone opposed to the church, who then becomes a Christian, this amazing guy begins to be used by God, and he's telling everyone about this guy named Jesus who was risen from the dead. And again, what's amazing about this is he goes to the church leaders, the guys that are scattered. He's in Jerusalem hanging out with everybody. And, and he has this thing in his heart. He's like, guys, this movement's got to move. Like Jesus told us to go to the nations, so let's go. And they're like, cool, what's your plan? He's like, let's just go as, let's just, everywhere. Let's, let's make it happen. You guys take Jerusalem, and I'll take everything else. And literally, that's exactly what happens. This one guy, he gets a crew of guys to go with him, but for the next 30 years of his, in, his life, For the next 30 years, he travels all around the Mediterranean, planting little ecclesias, planting little gatherings, planting little Jesus gatherings. As he's sharing the message of Jesus, people are becoming Christians, and all over the known world, he's sharing and doing exactly what Jesus invited them to do. He's hitting every major port city, and things are exploding once again. The movement is moving, and then... In the middle of all that, right, this guy is arrested, and he's beaten, and he's kicked out of cities, and he's shipwrecked. And and again, he's not running around repeating Jesus' teachings, right? He's not like, hey, Jesus said this cool story. He's running around, and the only thing he's talking about is Jesus rose from the dead. Something happened. God has done something, and you need to know about it. God has done something for everyone. This message is for the world. That's over and over again what he's talking about. And then when Paul is in his early 60s, he is imprisoned for the second time in Rome. And he doesn't know it at the time, but he will not walk away with his life at this point. There's this is emperor na- named Nero, and he's a bad dude. I mean, he is just absolutely twisted. He's capturing Christians, and he's doing, you know, uh, 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 feeding them to the lions, and he'll tie them to, to poles and dip them in tar and light them up and use them as candles in his garden. I mean, this guy is just absolutely crazy. And Paul's in prison, and I wonder in that moment if. He's there, and he looks around, and he's watching Nero's persecution of the church, and he's watching Christians burned alive to light this dude's garden. He's watching them be torn to pieces by lions for fun and game. And I wonder if he's he's asking in his own mind, "Did it work? Like all like last thirty years of my life, I, mean, I mean, is is it working? Like, will, will Jesus and I mean, will this thing survive the Roman Empire? Because it's not looking great." I wonder in, if in his mind there's this doubt creeping in. Like, man, were we crazy to think that this would ever work? Were we crazy to think that Jesus could actually do what he said he would do? I mean, I mean, man, what if none of this is actually going to go anywhere? What if it all stops right here? Now, I want you to imagine if you could just join Paul as he's walking to his execution. Let's say you've got five minutes to walk beside him and share with him what you know today. I want you to think about it for a second. In the middle of all the doubt that he has, you get to walk up Paul and say, Paul, listen, I know this is crazy, but you see all of these temples and everything you see in the city about the Roman Empire. You see all of this around us? One day the Roman Empire won't even exist. And I know you see all your friends crucified out here on these crosses. Well, one day, this city is going to be lined with churches, and there's going to be crosses on the tops of lots of buildings, but they're not going to represent people being crucified. They're going to represent what Jesus has done. Imagine if you could walk with him and say, man, I know you're looking at Nero's circus right now. I know you're looking at despair and heartache as your friends are murdered for their faith, but one day, in place of Nero's circus, there's going to be possibly the most beautiful building ever built, St. Peter's Cathedral, in its place to remember your friend Peter who died for his faith. I know it's hard to believe, but one day, Paul, there will be no Roman Empire. Paul, I know it's hard to believe, but not only will the church survive the Roman Empire, but there will be churches in almost every corner of the world. Man, did it work? Paul, I, I know this is hard to believe, But, you know, as you're writing all these letters and you're hoping that the message is getting out and it's circulating, you know, all those letters that you wrote, people will read your letters in over 1,200 different languages one day, Paul. I know know it doesn't look like much right now, but not only does the church survive, but it thrives. You know what's amazing, Paul? Every year, people are going to gather around this holiday and they're going to celebrate the story and the birth of Jesus. And one day, Caesar will only be a footnote in the story of Jesus. You think Caesar's a big deal now? One day, he's just a footnote to celebrate the story of Jesus. One day, he's just uh, known for a pizza guy. You know what I'm saying? Like like one day, people are going to name their kids Peter and Paul and James. And they're going to name their dogs Nero and Caesar, right? I mean, I mean you don't know what's coming, but I mean, it's going to be amazing. And you got to ask the question, could he, be, could he have imagined? And the answer is no way. But here's, here's why I'm telling you this, guys. And I'm going to invite Daniel to come as we get ready to wrap this up. But it happened just like Jesus said it would. That's the point here. That Jesus said in, in Matthew 28:18. I'm sorry, 16, 18. I will build my church, my gathering, my people, my ecclesia, and the gates of hell or Hades or death will not overcome it. Nothing will stop my church because my spirit will fill it, my presence will inhabit it, and the church will be the vehicle and the center of the activity of God in the world. The church will bring the hope to the world. And so as you go, Jesus followers, as you go and make disciples, as you help other people come to follow me, I will be with you. That's the promise from Jesus. Until I return, I will be with you. And so as you consider your personal faith journey, you need to know that a group of people said that they saw something happen. They saw a risen savior and out of that moment the church as we know it is born not a place but a people and that's something that happened is still happening today and the amazing invitation here friends is that every single one of you have been invited to be a part of what god is doing in and through the local church through the compassion of the church in the world through the message of hope From the church in the world through the influence of the church in the world and listen can i just acknowledge the elephant in the room the church hasn't always got it right has 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 they has she (laughs) which which pronoun do you use there the church hasn't always got it right right in fact some of you have some really really big church hurt and first of all i'd like to say you're not alone but but i I just want to acknowledge that's what's so amazing about jesus promise here the church hasn't always got it right but even in spite of us, Jesus is still doing what he promised. And you're invited. You're invited to be a part of the activity of God in and through the local church. And for us here at City Church, we say it often, we are the church and we exist for the world. That it's not what happens on a platform on a Sunday, but what God wants to do in and through you where you live, work, and play. Jesus didn't predict a place. He predicted a people. And I need you to know, for this day and for this time, He predicted you and your space, where you live, where you work, where you play. And the first invitation is to trust in Jesus. And by trusting in Jesus, we are made right with God. And we join His family. And we join His activity. And it's a privilege and an honor. Now, here's the question that I have for you today. What's your next step as you wrestle with your, your personal faith journey. For some of you, you're, you're, you're wrestling with faith and maybe your next step is just to keep coming, to keep showing up, to keep asking hard questions and keep asking yourself, can I embrace this? Can I embrace the invitation? Can I really trust in Jesus? Is he really who he said he was? Can he really do in my life what he said he would do? For some of you, your next step is just to keep showing up. For some of you, it's time that you placed your faith in Jesus. You've heard enough. You've been exposed to enough. And it's that moment in your heart that something inside of you says, man, I need that. And I would encourage you, like we've said many, many times, to trust in Jesus by praying in your heart and your mind. Jesus, I believe that you are who you said you are, that you can do in my life what you said you would do. I want you to save me and set me free. I want a relationship with you, however you would say that you can know with confidence today. If you pray that in your heart and your mind, you can have a relationship with God that changes everything. If you make that decision, we'd love to know it through that connection card that you have the chance to fill out. Now, some of you are in a space where you're following Jesus and your next step is baptism. And baptism is one of those unique things of of where you you you, you, you go into the water and you come back up, you're like, what does that mean? It's about identifying with Jesus. It's celebrating on the outside what Jesus has already done on the inside. When I trust in Jesus, I'm going to go under the water and come back up, and it's a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and it's a picture of the new life that Jesus has given me, that the old me is dead, and, and Jesus has made me new. Does that make sense? Some of you, your next step is identifying with Jesus externally through baptism. For some of you, it's, it's very simple. It's plugging into community. It's just getting around other people who love Jesus and so are gonna love you and help you grow in your relationship with God, help you grow on mission with God and the world around you. Some of you, it's just committing to that space of being vulnerable and getting into a city group. Right? For some of you, it's beginning to use your gifts to serve others, both, both through our weekend team, serving at City Church and serving in the world around you. Some of you, man, you're, you're so gifted and you're so talented, you have so much to give, you don't realize how much of a gift you are to the world. You don't realize how much God has put inside of you to give. And your next step is to to begin to serve. Some of you in the room are are wrestling with God's call on your life. And some of you, you're feeling this pull, this this, this thing inside of you that says, man, I want to give the rest of my life to helping people find their way to God from where they are. I want to give the rest of my life vocationally all of my time all of my energy all of my resources to whatever God has next some of you God's in a call to plant churches some of you God is currently calling to to, to do missions around the world and plant churches around the world some of you God is calling and you're wrestling with that call and your next step might very simply be to say yes God I don't know what it is that you have for me but I absolutely know that what you've done for me I want to share with everybody else on the planet so we're all invited Through Jesus, to share the love of God with the world. To engage with God's activity. And listen, guys, here at City Church, our heart is to have a church in and for the city. To have a church here for good. That people would see our good works and they would be exposed to the love of God. But our heart is so much bigger than us. In fact, every week we say it's not about us. We have a heart and a vision for Boulder, the West, and the world. And when you invest in the local church, you're joining in God's activity in Boulder, the West, and the world. And here's here's my encouragement for you as we kind of land the plane this morning is that whatever your next step is, you will not regret your next step because you are in a slice of time, a slice of history where your life counts for something uniquely appointed by God. And we want to come alongside you and join you in that journey. So I'm going to pray for you. Will you bow your heads with me and just close your eyes for a moment. This is just a moment of privacy for you. This is to kind of remove distraction in the room and allow us to just focus on some of the things we wrestle with. And so maybe as I was talking, a next step became very clear for you. You know exactly what it is that God wants you to do next. There's something you've been delaying, something you've been holding on to. this is a moment when you're ready to say yes maybe it's giving your life to Jesus today maybe it's saying yes to baptism maybe it's joining community maybe it's joining this team maybe it's answering the call of giving your life to some form of ministry full time and I don't know what it is but can I encourage you right now just in the privacy of your own heart and mind would you would you pray and you say God whatever you want yes Or maybe for the first time God I need you I receive that incredible gift of your grace and your forgiveness and love so God I pray for my friends this morning recognizing that you are building your church man what a privilege what an honor to watch you build your church in Boulder not just our church you're building your kingdom in Boulder you're building it around the west and the world and we get to be a part of that So thank you for an outwardly focused church. Thank you for a church that remembers it's not about us. Thank you for a church that carries ownership, that we are the church. We exist for the world, and you have called us where we live, work, and play to be lights, to love, and to serve, and to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. To love without agenda, because you so radically have loved us. So God, in this morning, whatever our next step would be, would you give us confidence? to take that step and to say yes. It's in Jesus' name.